We can turn away from your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. As we continue our studies in the book of Colossians, probably not much longer than we'll probably do Philemon, uh, but Colossians chapter 3, we're looking at verses 20 and 21 this morning. But I will read verses 18 through 4-1 to set the context. Colossians chapter 3, the reading of verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they should become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we are thankful for the creation gift of marriage. Thank you for the creation gift of child rearing, uh, the creation gift of the home. And we're thankful, O oh God, for its application when it comes to those who've been saved and redeemed. Thank you for those who've been changed, those who've been circumcised with the circumcision of the heart, who've been buried with Christ and raised with Christ. Thank you for our Christian life. We are to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Thank you that we have put off the old man, and may we now put off that remaining corruption. Thank you that we have put on the new man in Christ Jesus, being renewed unto his image day by day in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And we pray that we would put on things becoming of him, that we would put on tender mercies, that we would put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. We'd be people that bears with one another, people that forgives one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. And may all these ex exhortations, may all these commands also apply to the home as well. We pray that homes would be a place of peace. Homes would be a, a place of safety. Homes would be a place where your word uh, saturates. And we pray, oh God, that you would help all of us in our various roles to do according to what you have said. And we ask again for your forgiveness for our failures. For we cannot do any of these things perfectly but help us to strive by the power of the Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ to honor and glorify you in the various spots you have put us. So we pray that today would be a day of salvation for the unconverted. Please work in them. We pray that day, today would be a day of encouragement or rebuke for your people. And we pray in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, marriage is a blessed gift, but one that requires work to cultivate. That is something that we focused on last week. And the same thing is true of the parent-child relationship. It is a blessed gift, but one that requires much work, much dedication, and much forbearing and forgiveness in that relationship. Parents and children have their own struggles and tendencies, and the Apostle Paul addresses those here and then also in Ephesians 6. Children are to obey their parents. Fathers are not to provoke their children to anger. And while the parents have authority, they must also stay within their bounds and not act like little tyrants. We don't like to admit it, but there's a little tyrant in all of us. And perhaps that manifests itself in that parent-child relationship. And so Paul is writing to the church at Colossae to remind them of where their heavenly life comes from. It doesn't come from vain philosophy. It comes from being found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rich theology, rich Christology, who Jesus is, and then how that then applies to the Christian. How that applies to the people of God. As you've received Christ, so then walk in him. And we focused on how he's taught us to put off because we have put off the old man and put on, because we have put on the new man in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these commands still apply to every relationship we are in, but he then turns to deal with specific relationships in the home. Last time, husbands and wives, what the wife primarily ought to do and what the husband ought to do, because he focuses on the problems that can arise in a marriage. Well, the same thing is true today as well when it comes to children and fathers 
and children and parents. Mothers, you can't just sleep. You're part of this as well, even though he dresses fathers specifically. And the problem is very clear, and the application is very clear, uh, but the problem is very clear. The problem of disobedient children and discouraging parents and discouraging fathers. There are disobedient children, children who rebel, children who go against their parents, children who violate that fifth commandment to honor their father and their mother. And the sad reality is a poor parent-child relationship where uh, the child does not respect authority can set up that child for failure because the family is a microcosm of society. If the child's not going to obey their parents, are they going to obey their teacher or the police? Are they going to do well in their job? You see, the the family, uh, the situation is important. It is vital, and it requires a lot of work. So there's disobedient children, but there's also discouraging fathers. Well, it's true, mothers can discourage. Uh, the home is primarily uh, given to the father to rule and to run. Not as a tyrant, but as a loving king, as a benevolent king, as a benevolent ruler. And even though the mother must also be kind and gracious and not provoke, the father is the one who's been given ultimate primary primary uh, authority in that home. And he is the one who must cultivate that place of, as Albert Martin says, warmth, closeness, harmony, and goodwill. Certainly the mothers must do that, but also the fathers as well. Warmth, closeness, harmony, and goodwill. And so in Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul then charges how the the various uh, uh, roles, various situations, various people in those situations on how they can promote this unity, this peace. So he says to the children, obey. And he says to the fathers, do not provoke to anger. That's the main idea of verses 20 and 21. Paul charges the children to obey and the fathers not to provoke to anger. We see our heavenly life in the parent-child relationship. And so we'll look at this heavenly life in the parent-child relationship under two headings. Children who obey, verse 20, and fathers who encourage, verse 21. Children who obey, verse 20. And fathers who encourage, verse 21. So let's first look at the children who obey in verse 20. And notice the charge. Children, obey your parents in all things. And again, it's in the context of one's heavenly life. There is that general exhortation to put off and put on. And there is also that general exhortation to forbear and forgive. This applies to the parent-child relationship. This applies to parents who are trying but failing, but also applies to children who are trying but failing as well. There must be a lot of grace, there must be a lot of forgiveness, and there must be a lot of forbearance in the home. Now, it is true there must be law in the home in some sense because there's order in the home. There is an inferior-superior relationship going on. There must be order, but there must also be grace in that home as well. And so he deals with the children. Children, obey your parents in all things. And notice, let's just touch on the child, the child aspect here for us. So when he refers to children, although all children, even when they become adults to some degree, must still honor their parents and treat them with respect, certainly as they grow up and as they get married and as children leave and cleave to that degree, uh, the, 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 the degree to which they do that can change. And so um, uh, the primary uh, uh, children in view here are those still under parental authority. So again, it can still applies to people who are married and no longer under the home or in the home, but it primarily refers to children still under that parental authority. And some things to highlight with the historical context uh, of the Greco-Roman world to which Paul is writing, number one, there's no adolescence. You know, we have this thing nowadays, what, 13, and you, you're a teenager till you're 35 these days, right? That's how long it's gone. People just want to play video games all day and want to just eat potato chips all the time and not do anything and be lazy all the time. So uh, there's an, uh, there, then that didn't happen in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, one was a girl was considered an adult when she got married, typically around 14, and boys when they became registered citizens at 17. And so anything under 17 perhaps is in view here when it comes to that 
relationship. So it is children under the authority of their parents. But then also notice some implications for this, the way in which Paul addresses them. Number one, children here are believers. Notice how he addresses them specifically. Notice how everything that has been said still applies to them. It's referring to children who have been changed and saved. Now, children, regardless of spiritual status, must obey their parents. But here he is giving that specific special charge for those who perhaps are believing children. So it's believers. And the second implication here is that notice children are probably in the service. There was no such thing as Sunday school back then. There's no such thing as youth group back then. But the children were there. Paul would have, uh, the letter would have been a read out loud in the service. And Paul directly addresses the children. And what's interesting is everything that's been said would have applied to them as well. Everything about high Christology, who Jesus is. He is the creator and the redeemer. Children can get that. Or even too, when he talks about how they must put off and put on, children can understand that very thing. All of this, all of that has been said applies for them and applies to them as well. Because children are smart. I don't think we give them as much credit as we ought to. I know we shouldn't go above and beyond where they're probably at, but we also not ought to baby them. Children can learn. Children can pay attention. And it's unfortunate that in Christian circles, we seem to have to dumb down everything for them. Children can pay attention. Children can learn by way of repetition. When you read about the old boys, when you read about the catechisms that they used for their children, I mean, there was the Westminster Larger Catechism, which is more in depth, and there was the Shorter Catechism. You know what the Shorter Catechism was for, brethren? Children. But we become so watered down in our understanding of the gospel. Now we have a children's catechism and we use the children's catechism. It's very helpful. But at one point they were using the shorter catechism. I mean, children are much smarter than we give them credit for. And so children here are in the service. We teach children. That's why we want them to be in the service. It's okay if they don't get everything. I don't think I get everything that I say sometimes, and that's fine. Uh, but if they don't get everything, that's perfectly fine. But it's good for them to be there. And here is some specific application for them. Children, obey your parents. And so the command is there. Obey your parents in all things. Again, there is this order. And it's certainly, as I said, family is a microcosm for society. The fifth commandment is not just for the home. It's a directive for superior and inferior relationships. Notice he's going to talk about how bond servants must obey in verse 22. We'll get there. Uh, but certainly obedience starts in the home. Obedience starts in the, in, the, in, the, in the place where one is reared and one is raised. And so it's, again, it's a directive for superior, inferior, and equal relationships as well, when I say superior, inferior, I know we live in a woke world where someone's going to freak out by me saying that. But when I, what I mean by that is, is there is unfortunately, uh, not unfortunately, there is uh, uh, superior, inferior relationships. I'm not saying people are less in being, but they're less in order and role. A boss is your superior. If you're an employee, you're an inferior. Just deal with it. It's part of life. That's what I mean when I say superior and inferior. And parents over their children, superior and, and inferior. Not diff, uh, They don't differ in being, but different in order and role. So that's why the fifth commandment is important, not just to honor your parents, but it fleshes itself out in uh, everyday relationships. That's why. If you read the Westminster Larger Catechism, and you would ask yourself, which commandment do the, the Westminster divines spend the most time on? A lot of people might think the first commandment. You have no other gods before you, right? It's actually the fifth. It actually is honor your father and your mother. And they, they lay out in detail, what's the duties of a superior? What's, the, 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 what's forbidden by a superior? What's the duties of an inferior? What's forbidden by an inferior? What's the duties of an equal? What's forbidden? All laid out there uh, in very good detail that's easy to read and or at least you have to read it over and over and over again but easy to read uh, to see how the fifth commandment is an important commandment and so children must obey and the reason he says they must obey because children have this natural tendency to what disobey and so god is saying to them you must obey paul is saying to them you must obey davenant says they must have a humble 
promptitude to receive orders of another, that is, be willing to receive them, starts inwardly to recognize one who is above you. And then secondly, a cheerful obedience to do what parents order, to learn what they teach, to correct and amend what they reprove, and in one word, to perform all outward deeds which may testify the internal affection of reverence and submission. It starts inwardly, who the superior is, what the parents are saying, and cheerfully doing what they request, even if you don't always understand the reasons why. And again, the parent-child relationship has implications for other relationships, and it will have implications for marriage. Girls learn what it means to be a wife, hopefully, from their mothers. Boys learn what, it, uh, what it's like to be a husband, hopefully, from their fathers. And also, the flip side is true. They can learn bad habits as well. That's why it's an important relationship, isn't it? That's why it requires attention. It requires work. It requires focus. It requires energy. That's why, I mean, I think we've said before, we honor God. Then the first thing we are are Christians. And then we are what? Uh, spouses, then parents, then our jobs. The main thing is our families. Yes, we must provide for them as fathers and, and parents provide for their needs. We'll get to that in a second. But it's important and vital. I'd rather have parents spend time, you know, cultivating and working in their children than doing a million other things that takes that time away. So that, so children must obey their parents. Notice in all things. Now it's in one, all things lawful, all things commanded by God. As we're going to see a, a parent cannot uh, command their child to sin, much like a husband cannot command his wife to sin. The same thing is true in the Christian home. So obedience in all things lawful. But also, secondly, sometimes in things indifferent. What I mean by that is we have this doctrine of Christian liberty. And while something in and of itself may not be sinful, a family with the father leading the charge with that, may decide that something is not appropriate for that family for whatever reason. And if it is a reasonable command from the parents, even in things indifferent, children must obey as well. One writer says, in things indifferent, we must especially confide in the judgment of a superior, since he tells us in the place of God what is expedient and what is proper. This is, I think, hard for teenagers the most. I know I just said that they didn't have teenagers back then, but we have teenagers now, so we have to deal with it. But teenagers especially struggle with this. A, they think they know better. And I know, I know this because I was once a teenager who thought I knew better. But also, so they think, they, they, you know, the parent says, you can't do this. All their friends are doing this very thing. The parent says no, and they don't understand why. And it may be for their protection. There might be some things, uh, some things that parents are trying to do protect their children. They know their tendencies of their children. They know the situations. They know the problems. They know what could occur, and they want to protect them from that very thing. I remember growing up, I had this one friend who always called home, called me and asked, hey, Mike, can you come over and play? And my parents, for years, they always said no. I'm not going to tell you the reasons why they said no or the details of why they said no, but there was something going on in the family situation of that home where they didn't want me to be exposed to that very thing. And for years, they said no, and they had their reasons, but they did not tell me the reason. And I had to learn later on what that reason was, and I'm thankful that they did so and protected me in that moment. So children, if your parents say no, they might have a specific reason. And they might always have, they don't always have to tell you that reason. But they have, should have a reason, but they don't always need to tell you what that reason is. So all things, you must obey them. Things lawful and sometimes things indifferent that the father has determined, the parents have determined, is must go in the home. So children, <laughs> obey your parents. And notice the reason why. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Notice, well-pleasing to God. It is God honoring. It is God glorifying. It is cheerful to him. Again, it highlights the scope as well, according to his commandments, similar to what is said with the wife, not the same word, but similar idea as is fitting in the Lord. Children, you must do it because it's the right thing. 
If you're in Christ and you've been saved, you must do what your parents say because God has called you to do that very thing. Again, we are assuming children are believers here. And even if they're not, they still must do according to natural law. That is the law written on the heart. They must do according to what God has said for their good and for their benefit. Uh, benefits. The, uh, because their ultimate, uh, but the ultimate object for those here is the Lord God Most High. If they claim to be a believer, then they must honor and obey their parents as unto the Lord. For one who has contempt and disobedience for their earthly father, uh, that can be a sign of one's contempt and disobedience for one's heavenly father. And your parents are ultimately the ones who have authority over you. God has appointed them to be that authority, not the state, not your teacher. It's terrible that I have to say that today, right? Not the state and not your teacher. They are not the ones of authority over you. Your parents do. What's interesting, Davenant kind of spent a long time on this, not specifically what we're dealing with today, but in a similar fashion. The papists gave specific ages where one could override their parents and join the monastery. And so he's writing against that. And this is what he says. It is the part of rashness if a youth of 16 or a damsel of 15, shall resolve about their mode of life without the knowledge and approbation of their parents, especially in entering upon that kind of life, that is, the life of a a monk, which by a certain necessity calls them off from yielding submission to their parents. For it is the duty of pious children first to go to their parents, to inquire both whether they may or whether they wish to do without their help and assistance go and speak to them the parents have authority not the state not the teacher and not the monastery so children you must obey your parents that is the emphasis your parents who have authority over you that is the application that is very clear and the hope is if you do what your parents say you'll have a good preparation for life this is what paul actually does say in ephesians 6 In Ephesians 6, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And you guys go on to quote uh, Deuteronomy 5, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you. You may live long on the earth. What he is saying there, not teaching works righteousness. But if your parents tell you not to touch a hot stove, you don't touch a hot stove, things are going to go pretty well for you, right? If they tell you not to play with knives and scissors and don't poke the electrical outlet, things will go pretty well, I like to think. If your, children, if your parents tell you no, if they teach you restraint, if they tell you no, that when the world comes and the world says to you no, you're going to be well prepared for that very thing. Parents have a huge monumental task, and children, you must obey them in what they say. This is also many Proverbs as well that speak about parenting. Uh, but Proverbs 6, uh, 6.20, I'll, I'll read a few others uh, in a moment. But Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue, and seductress. So parents, hopefully, if they're doing their jobs right, are preparing you for the road. And if you are a believer, you must obey them because it is fitting, because it is well-pleasing, because it is a way to thank God most high Uh, for his salvation that he's given to you. Now, one thing I always like to highlight, is any child perfect? No. And if you fail as a child, there is forgiveness. If you've believed on Christ, there is forgiveness. If you have not believed on Christ, and you violated the fifth commandment, there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. For no one keeps the fifth commandment except the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him, there is life, peace, and mercy. And through him, we have uh, our, our heavenly father. Through him, we are adopted as sons, and there is forgiveness for children 
who fail. But children, you must obey your parents. Let's then look secondly at fathers who encourage or fathers who do not provoke. Verse 21. Notice we see what the fathers must do. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And again, the reason fathers are mentioned is one, they're the head of the home. Even though the woman primarily cares for them during the day, it is still the husband's primary responsibility to promote warmth, closeness, harmony, and goodwill. So he is the head. But also it is typically, especially at this time, the father's tendency to act tyrannically, to act with anger, to act with frustration. That's typically uh, the father's tendency. And so he, he warns them, Paul is warning fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, there's the flip side where fathers overindulge. We'll talk about that in just a second. But we ought not to provoke our children, to cause them, to, to be embittered towards them, to irritate them, to poke the bear, so to speak. And how do we do this? How do we provoke them? How can we make them become discouraged? Well, there are two ways I think the commentators highlighted when it comes to how we provoke. And one is by way of cruelty. And there are ways, subheadings under cruelty that we can see. Four things that I noticed in the commentators and also need to examine my own heart with and observations I've made. But number one, neglecting the bare necessities of life. You don't pay, you don't give your children food. You don't give your children shelter. You don't give your children clothing. They don't have to have Nikes. They don't have to have the nicest thing on the planet, but basic necessities. That is important. That is a necessity. Paul says in 1 Timothy, uh, in 1 Timothy that those who don't care for their own are, are worse than the heathen. I certainly he's talking about in the context of our aging parents. It highlights there as well that even as our parents age, we children still must love them and care for them, even if it's a little bit different. But fathers must provide for their children. So we ought not neglect the basic necessities of life. Secondly, we ought not to neglect spiritual needs. Paul says in Ephesians 6, we need to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That doesn't mean necessarily they're all going to be saved, but we need to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We need to talk about the Lord God Most High. We need to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to talk about it. That's why in Deuteronomy 6, talking about the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He goes on to talk about how fathers must talk about these commandments. You shall teach them in your home. When, when you walk by the wayside, when you're sitting at home, you shall talk about these things often. That is primarily on the fathers, to be the spiritual leaders in their home. It's to be the ones who lead their family, not just their wives, but their children as well, to not neglect those spiritual needs, to make sure that they're at the house of the Lord so they can hear Paul chastise them. Hear Paul say, children, obey the voice of the Lord God. Oh, sorry, obey your parents as is fitting to the Lord God most high, to have them come hear the gospel. Fathers must lead them at home. I think sometimes that in our modern context, that we think the church is going to raise our children in that way, right? That's not what the Bible says. It is primarily on the fathers. Now, I'm not saying you can't send your kid to a Christian school, but fathers, you must teach your children. I remember doing youth group years ago. It's how I got saved. I shouldn't have been doing youth group because I didn't know anything, but that's another, that's, that's an aside. But I was doing youth group and some of the kids struggled, but the one parent in particular always looked at me as if I wasn't doing enough for her child. Because I wasn't doing enough for her kid. And it's unfortunate he went through a lot, tried to you know, help him somewhat. But she always looked at me with such disdain. And I thought to myself, even back then, before I know what I know now and still need to know a lot more. But even then, I was like, that's not my job. It's your job. It's your job to care for them. It's your job to make sure they're doing okay. It's your job. Yes, I'm not against mentors or mentees or that sort of thing. But it's primarily on the parent. Parents must not fail to train and instruct, and uh, uh, they must not neglect the spiritual needs. So two so far, neglect of basic necessities, neglect of spiritual necessities. Thirdly, tyrannical rule. Fathers must be kings. Fathers must reign. Fathers must rule, but do so in a loving way. 
do so in a, in a, in a way worthy of respect, not to uh, be angry in their discipline, not to have high expectations that kids don't meet and then clobber them for it when they don't meet it. That's what Albert Martin says. By the way, I've only listened to eight of them, but there's 40 Albert Martin sermons on parenting, how not to foul up parenting. And one thing he says is don't have high expectations and then clobber them for it when they don't meet it. We ought not to do that. We ought to know where they are at. We ought to know the situation they are in and uh, adjust appropriately to what they have and not to discipline and anger. We believe in the place of consequences and the place of discipline. Otherwise, there's going to be other problems. We'll talk about that in just a second. But not, it ought not to be hasty, right? I mean, there's a reason in Deuteronomy for Israel as a body politic, for people that do terrible things, the punishment must fit the crime. It must not exceed what they did. It must not be less than what they did. And so we ought not to, in fits of rage, discipline our children in such a way to provoke them and to discourage them. So tyrannical rule, that's a, that's a third thing. And then fourthly, hypocrisy. Here's how we can provoke our children. When we say something or command them not to do that very thing, and we don't follow our own rules. This happens all the time. And we need to ask them for forgiveness for our hypocrisy. We have this expectation for them, but it's actually a lower expectation for us. And so hypocrisy is another way that we can provoke our children. So neglect, tyrannical rule, and hypocrisy. So that's one side of not provoking. That's all under cruelty. And then uh, the second thing under how we can uh, provoke them is by the opposite of tyrannical rule, the opposite of cruelty, overindulgence. Davenant says that's probably the issue for his day. I surmise that's probably the issue as a whole for our day as well. Uh, we have to be careful of overcorrecting, and I think that could be a tendency as well. But we coddle. <laughs> we coddle. We give overindulgence. In fact, there's a book uh, by, written by non-believers called The Coddling of the American Mind. It's because kids were never told the word no. And they come to school, and the teachers tell them no. And then they have the parent-teacher meeting, and the parent goes, how, how could you say that about my precious so-and-so? Parents are coddling their children. I liked one saying that was in that book that I think applies to child-rearing, prepare your child for the road, not the road for your children. That is, if there's an obstacle, let them figure out how to get around that. Help them how to get around it. Help them to move about around it. Don't clear the way for them to make it all smooth. Life is hard, and they need to certainly know love and tenderness and kindness, but also to hear the word no more often than perhaps we tend to give it. Correction, Ephesians 6, and uh, instruction and correction, Ephesians 6, are important. Here's the right path. Here's the wrong path. Here's the right way to go. Here's the wrong way to go. Parents must not coddle. Parents must not spoil them rotten without proper discipline. Now, I'm not saying don't love your children. I'm not saying they can never get a candy or never get a toy or you never get them anything for Christmas just to teach them the word no and what that means. No, we should be kind and gracious. There is a balance, but we can swing to both sides, cruelty or in indulgence and discipline is important that's why the bible speaks in the proverbs proverbs 22 15 folly is bound up in the heart of the child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him proverbs 29 15 the rod and the reproof give wisdom but a child left to his own devices brings shame on his mother now i know it's the primarily the sins of the child but there is an element that our children reflect us that's unfortunate, isn't it? Thing to think about. Again, it might be their fault. I'll talk about the incorrigible son in just a moment. But to some degree, we have to raise our children in such a way that they don't bring shame upon us. And we do. We make mistakes and there's mercy and forgiveness. But this is what God tells us to do. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. If you say no, and they're a well-adjusted human being, that's going to give you lots of rest, isn't it? rather than worrying about them all the time. I've heard, I know I've heard as I've talked to parents with older children, worrying never stops <laughs> being a parent. I, I know that, but hopefully 
uh, we can worry less if we do what God has said. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. So don't provoke them, fathers. And notice why, verse 21, lest they become discouraged. Lest they become dispirited, lest they lose heart, lest they have no motivation. And there are several ways which we see this manifest. We can have sensed some of them already with how we provoke, but some of the things that we say about provoking also apply to how we discourage. And the first thing is we discourage by unattainable expectations. Dad, how can I ever live up to what you said? How can I ever understand and live up to what you ask of me? Or even the age-appropriate expectations. So I think this is hard in our modern context, because we have adolescence and we have to deal with that. As children grow, how much do we enforce? What are, what are the expectations? How much freedom do we give? As they grow, we have to be able to let go of that leash a little bit, right? And not have this tight vice grip. Otherwise, we're going to provoke them to anger. And certainly as children grow, and if it's, you have these over, you know, or unex, uh, unattainable expectations, then A, stop having that. And if you see your child discouraged, you need to encourage them. Again, we always focus on the negative things that people do. We do that with our kids, and we do that with our spouses, and we do that with the world. But if they do something good, encourage them, uplift them, tell them that they've done a good thing, nurture them. The hope is that we raise children so they can leave the house, right? I love my two children, but I want them to leave the home at some point. I want them to go and be free. I want them to not have to depend on me. I mean, depend on me, you know what I mean? Like, I always want to be their confidant and their close friend, but I, don't, I want them to be able to take care of themselves. We want to raise them so they leave the roost. But if we never give them the freedom to do that, we can discourage them. Um, uh, Davenant says in connection with uh, kids that have married and moved on, he says, a son can never be freed from the duty of honoring and succoring his parents, but he may be, he may from the duty of dwelling with them and administering their domestic affairs. Genesis two says we must leave and cleave and we become one with the spouse, but that doesn't mean the, it doesn't change the fact that honoring our parents still applies. How that looks, how that manifests is going to be different. Perhaps it's a deference. It's a recognition of their, they are the ones who have raised us. And hopefully as they grow old, you have to care for them. It's kind of funny. You know, it's a circle of life sort of thing. They raise you because you're helpless. And as they become helpless, when they grow old, you, uh, you help them. We ought to neglect them. We ought to care for them. We ought to honor them. But honoring and caring for them still applies to some degree, even with parents that have left. And we want that our kids that have left. And so we want the children to be able to do that. We want the children to be able to be self-dependent. And if we give them unattainable expectations, it's only going to discourage. Why should I even try? So don't discourage by unattainable expectations. Secondly, don't discourage by harsh discipline that exceeds the offense. I talked about this already. The punishment must fit the crime and not be given in the heat of anger. That's not fair either. So those two so far, harsh dis uh, discipline. And then thirdly, there's probably more than what I've said. There are more than what I've said. But this third one, discouraged by, don't discourage by a furrowed brow rather than a warm smile. If you never smile at your children, something's probably wrong with you. <laughs> Sorry to say it just like that. If you're never pleased with your child, I think it's probably more about, maybe more about, maybe I don't, maybe I don't know your, I'm just saying, if we never smile and greet them with warmth, maybe there's something wrong. And I think this can manifest itself in two ways. So we have the, the three ways we can, we can make them discouraged, unattainable expectations, uh, un- uh, un, um, unfair discipline and never smiling at them, never picking them up in your arms, never hugging them, never caring for them, never loving them. Is that the way we ought to live our life? And we can unfortunately make our children discouraged and this discouragement manifests itself in two ways. A despondent child 
or a disobedient child. A despondent child is one who does say, I, I, I can't meet your expectations. I'm not, I'm not even going to try. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I won't try anything because all my parents ever focuses on are the things that I do wrong. They never recognize the things that I've done right. They never encouraged and understood that I've tried hard, but I'm struggling here. They never realized that. We ought not to you know, engage in a harsh discipline if they drop their food. And if they're trying not to drop their food over and over and over again, you give them some encouragement. Albert Martin says in, in his, in one, I can't remember which one, but in one of those uh, sermons, one of those lectures on parenting, he talks about how if a child is struggling with a sin, you must be long suffering with them. If there is there, they don't want to struggle with it. They're trying their hardest. We don't make them despondent by overly uh, disciplining them, but recognize that what they're trying to do. That's why it requires wisdom. That's why it uh, requires fathers to be in tune with their children and in tune with the emotions of their children. Fathers, I know that's hard for men. We're not always called or known as for, for our emotions. We must be in tune with our children that way, not to provoke them, to recognize what encourages and to make sure we don't discourage. Edie has a lengthy quote, but I think it's very good. He says, the child when chastised should feel that the punishment is not the result of fretful anger. And when it obeys, its obedience should not be prompted or rather forced by a menaced infliction. If children, let them do what they can, never please their father. If they are irritated by perpetual censure, if they are kept apart from uniform sternness, if other children around them are continually held up as immeasurably their superiors... If their best efforts can only moderate the parental frown, but never are greeted with the parental smile, then their spirit is broken and they are discouraged. If it's always frowns, it's always anger, it's always infliction, brother, we need to recognize and realize that we are called not to provoke our children, lest they become discouraged. What's the opposite of that? Encourage them, their children, uplift them. Their children. So we can create despondent children, but we can also create rebellious children. Now, I know children are responsible for their own sins, right? You know, if you're a child, you're not saved by the faith of your parents, nor are you condemned by the sins of your parents. You're saved by faith in Christ or condemned by your own sins. But perhaps Paul is trying to say uh, we ought to make sure that we don't make them rebellious. Why even try? And if they, if I can't do what they want, I'm just going to do what they do not want. Children, uh, the desire is that children trust their parents so much that they become their confidants and mentors. Isn't that the desire? Isn't that the hope? Now, if you didn't do this as a parent, there is mercy and forgiveness. One of the things we have to evidence to our children is our humility and ask for forgiveness. And if we failed as parents, and we have failed as parents, there is mercy and forgiveness in Christ. And it's not wrong to seek forgiveness from your children. We ought not to provoke them and discourage them so much that, that we push them in a, another direction. The hope is we really shouldn't need mentors, right? I'm not saying people can't find mentors in other people, but the hope is that their parents are their mentors. Isn't that the hope and desire? And if it doesn't happen, we live in a fallen world, you can find parents, uh, others who can be your spiritual parents. But the hope is if parents do what they're supposed to do, then maybe that would not be the case. Parents would be their mentors. So children, or fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And I think one qualification I need to highlight, you might do everything right. You might discipline you might show love you might be kind but there is the unfortunate reality of what's called the incorrigible son this is in deuteronomy 21 verse 8 and in deuteronomy 21 it's taught it's certainly it's israel as a body politic but there was this rebellious son this terrible son this wicked son and they what do they do they bring him to the gates and they have him stoned to death because the parents did everything we disciplined, we tried to chat, we tried to chasten, yet 
he would not listen. So next time you're out for dinner and see parents with a screaming child and a struggling child, maybe the child is like the encouraging son. <laughs> maybe not, but you know what I mean? Maybe we should cut people some slack if their kids are not are screaming, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs. We don't know what's going on really. Now, yes, to some degree, we all think, why don't you get your kid in line? Because I do that all the time too. And I, it's unfortunate too. I, I have I have um, high expectations for my children. And I need to be careful of that as well. Uh, but uh, we must not judge hastily others depending on the situation. But I think I think encourageable son is a good kind of caveat that people are sinful, kids are sinful, they can do uh, terrible things, even if fathers do all that they should do. Now, the application, again, is very clear. Parents, don't provoke your children. Prepare your children. Raise your children in the fear and admission of the Lord. And by the way, this is your kingdom work, isn't it? <laughs> A lot of people like to come in, well, what do you do for service in your church? Well, we have the preaching of the word, show up for that. We have prayer before the service, you could show up for that. And we have Wednesdays, please show up for that. But here's how you do it in your Christian walk. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. I don't care how many mission trips you go on. I don't care how many things you serve at. If you neglect your child, you are not doing kingdom work. This is kingdom work, isn't it? This is our heavenly life. We are instructed to instruct and admonish with love, encouragement, and an understanding of where they are at. And the reason we need to do that is because our heavenly father understands where we are at. Psalm 103 verses 11 through 14 david says for as the heavens are high above the earth so great is his mercy towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us as a father pities his children so the lord pities those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are but dust our heavenly father knows our frame we need to know the frame of our children. Edie says the young spirit is to be carefully and tenderly developed and not crushed by harsh and ungenerous treatment. Too much is neither to be demanded nor expected. The twig is to be bent with caution, not broken in the efforts of a rude and hasty seal. Love, care, chasten, raise, rear, is the calling that God has placed on those uh, whom he has given children. And we do so with thanksgiving to the Lord. This is our calling. We do so by putting on mercies and kindness and humility, not malice and anger and wrath. This is how we see the heavenly life and the general exhortations fleshed out in the home, in the household, in the place where parents and childs, uh, parents and children dwell together. And again, if you're a parent who has failed and you are a parent who has failed, there is mercy and forgiveness in Christ for your failures. We ask for forgiveness and we move on. We ask for forgiveness in Christ and we try again tomorrow. If we've hurt our children, if we disciplined in a hasty way or haven't disciplined them right, you know what you go and say to your child? I'm sorry I haven't been the father or I'm sorry I haven't been the mother. I was supposed to be, please forgive me. That's another way to teach your children the importance of forgiveness and humility by parents humbling themselves, seeking forgiveness from God and seeking forgiveness from their children. Now there is that one perfect father. And I know that there are many earthly fathers who have failed but that doesn't change or nullify the perfection of the heavenly father. As we read in Psalm 103, he pities those who fear them. He fear him. He, there's forgiveness for those who believe upon him. We have a heavenly father who has pitied us and an elder brother who has accomplished salvation for us. There is mercy and forgiveness. Children, if you've disobeyed your parents and you're not a believer, 
believe on Christ and your sins are forgiven. Parents, if you've not raised your children, but provoked them and discouraged them, there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus forgives all the sins of those who believe him, even those who violate the fifth commandment. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. And thank you for that gift of adoption of who we are in Christ because of what he has done for us and the access we have to you as our Father. Thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that you pitied us. Thank you that as far as the East is from the West, so is your mercy towards us. And thank you that you know our frame, that you remember that we are but dust as your people. And help us to remember that with those we are raising as well. Help us remember that with children, that they are but children. Help us to have wise, orderly expectations for them. Help us to have wise, age-appropriate expectations for them. And may we not provoke them. May we not discourage them, but may we encourage and uplift. May we instruct and admonish in the fear and admonition of the Lord uh, according to your ways. This is a heavy calling. This is a difficult calling. But we pray that we would seek by your spirit to do so in a way that is pleasing unto you. We also pray for children, that you would save their souls, that you'd work in them a mighty work, and pray for those who still are in the home. We pray that you would help them to obey, help them to listen to their parents, and we need so much wisdom in this world as sinners uh, dwell together, uh, as husbands and wives are sinners, as parents and children are sinners. Uh, Please forgive us for all our failures. Please forgive us for all our problems. Please forgive us for all the things we've done wrong. Uh, respectively, as we've been children or as those who are parents, thank you that there is mercy and forgiveness. So help us, uh, help our homes to be strong, help our homes to be led by strong fathers, uh, help our homes to be filled with your word and filled with the spirit, and please help our homes be filled with peace as well. So help us now by your spirit to uh, put these things into practice by the spirit We pray if they're in here today who do not know you, please save their souls that there is forgiveness in Christ. So be with us now by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.